Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. The light is green. The trap is clean. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there are some people listening who don't have a ghost of an idea what you're talking about. Well, considering that most of our fans also listen to Stuff You Should Know and considering Chuck's obsession with that movie, I'm pretty sure they've picked up on it. Good point. So uh, what we're going to talk about today has nothing to do with ghosts. Nope. Uh, Unless there's a ghost, ghost in the, the machine. machine. Oh, zing. <laughs> well done, Paulette. All right. We're going to talk about artificial consciousness, which is sort of a uh, a similar uh, concept to artificial intelligence. Yes, but it is entirely different, only similar. Yeah, it's kind of – yeah, this is, <laughs> this this is tricky to talk about. Hurt. So we wanted to talk a little bit about whether or not – uh, we ever thought it was going to be possible to create a a conscious artificial <laughs> construct in some form. Okay. Whether it's a computer or a robot or whatever. Well, this was sort of top of mind for us because you've been writing a couple articles for the site. Yes. Along these lines. Right. We've been writing or I've been writing quite a bit about artificial intelligence and, and uh, artificial consciousness. I even wrote a blog post for Discovery about the subject as well. Uh, yes, yes. And um and so we thought we'd k- kind of talk about it because it's a really interesting con- concept. Um it's really difficult to talk about as it turns out because consciousness is is not a really well-defined term. Yeah, it, from the research that I did for the podcast in addition to having read your articles, um I, I it's funny because some people think that a, a computer or a machine can achieve consciousness, but it all depends on how you define consciousness, and it's very difficult to do that for a human being, let alone a machine. Right, exactly. If we can't if we can't define it for ourselves, how can we hope to define it in some other kind of uh, of device? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when you think about it, our total experience is with us. Right. You know, that's that's as far as we know that that's the only experience we have with conscious beings is. Uh, and and really, some would argue, some philosophers would argue, the only experience each of us has is with his or her own consciousness. That's true. And that we can only extrapolate that what other people experience is similar to what we experience. Mm. Now, did I just blow your mind? Because <laughs> it blew my mind. You start thinking about that and you're thinking, OK, well, let's say that Chris and I are both looking at a uh, uh, a coin mm-hmm. and the coin is blue. Okay. As far as you know, we, it is what we, you call it blue and I call it blue. Okay. But how do I know that what Chris calls blue, Chris perceives the same way that I perceive blue? There's like, no way to know. Maybe what Chris sees when he looks at a coin, I would call it red, but we've arrived at a common vocabulary. We're both calling it blue. And as far as we know, the other person is experiencing it the same way that we ourselves are experiencing it. Mm-hmm. We don't know for sure. Um, I, I wanted to throw in this quote before we get too far away from this thought. Because, All right, sure. Uh, psychologist Susan Blackmore had an article in New Scientist. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, it was quoted by another uh, researcher, Igor Alexander. Mm-hmm. Um, but her, I love the quote that he he had chosen from her article. Um, she said that the uh, trying to find the inner sensation—that's you know her 
the quote there, but uh, it's like looking in the fridge to see whether the light is always on. Right. <laughs> right. So, like, so they, I mean, just you're going by your own self-diagnostic. It's like, well, it must always be on since. Right. Right. Because that's what I always yeah, see. Exactly. Certain, certainly there are things that we can mention about uh, – the seem to be kind of uh, agreed upon as being part of consciousness. Yeah. Things like an inner monologue, an inner voice, mm-hmm. something that is within us that we can hear, we can rely on, we can, you know, think things out without speaking it aloud, without having any outward appearance that that's going on. It's happening inside us. Mm-hmm. That's part of consciousness. Uh, it could, you could also argue that anything, any sort of sensation uh, is, is part of consciousness. Sensations yeah. like, Pain or love or ambition or fear or that's hot. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's more than, it's not just physiological. There's something within the mind as well that is bringing this into a concept, not just a, a, you know, stimulus response. Yes. And, and some people will argue that a computer or a machine can figure that out. It can, you know, use a thermometer and go, well, that's hot. Or, you know, a self-diagnostic program would say, hey, my wheel has fallen off. Therefore, I shouldn't go anywhere because I will hurt myself. Right. But then the damage myself. Exactly. That's and that's a good a good way of uh, dividing it, because is the machine actually feeling anything as a human? We would say we'd feel that, you know, we it's not just that we recognize that we're (laughs) like if you cut my hand off, Chris, which I am not recommending you do. I'm, you know, I have an aversion to blood. So I don't okay. want to go as lefty for the rest of my life. Um, but if you were to cut off my hand, uh, chances are I would have some clues to that other than just looking down and noticing my hand was gone. Yes. Um, it wouldn't just be that I had noted, Hey, my hand is no longer there. I would be feeling pain, fear, probably, uh, quite surprised. Chris has never raised a finger to me and I can't believe you would do such a thing. <laughs> Jerk. So, um, but at any rate, I would feel these things. A machine, if it were to lose a part, but be able to recognize that, we wouldn't say that it felt it. We would say that it detected it and then w- maybe even found a way to respond appropriately so they could continue to function. But that's not the same as feeling, which some would argue is part of consciousness. Right. For some reason, I put the image of C-3PO in my head after he had been blown apart and he was trying to figure out where the rest of him was. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Um, that wasn't that great documentary, A New Hope. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't in A New Hope. Well, you know, <laughs> it was in Cloud City. That oh, was, you're uh, right. You're right. Empire Strikes yeah. Back. Cause yeah, he was, uh, he was just damaged a bit. Yes. Actually, no, he, he came, came to part in, in New Hope as well. Oh, yeah. The sand people knocked him out. Oh, right. Right. You know what? That's a good point. Yes. Uh, C3PO. <laughs> That's, I don't know but why he didn't I didn't feel pain. That. No, no. He just was, uh, he, but he did appear to feel something. C-3PO was definitely cowardly, wouldn't you say? Well, he does say one of his most famous lines from Star Wars and New Hope is, I have a bad feeling about this. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And Ha-ha. then there's Hal. Right. And Johnny there's, Five. Yes, who, who is was, alive. You know, arguably alive. Yes. So consciousness is not the only concept that's difficult to to define. Intelligence, as it turns out, is also tricky. Yes. Now, if you think of intelligence as the ability to solve problems, computers are pretty good at that. In Extremely fact, computers that. have gotten have gotten better at even learning how to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, before, you might argue that computers could only solve things that um, that someone had uh, uh, programmed into it. In other words, they 
computers knew how to do basic uh, arithmetic and that was about it. But if you gave it a, a, a mathematical problem, it could work it out because it, it knew the rules. Right. Right. But we've made a lot of progress in artificial intelligence to the point where computers can do things now like recognize patterns. That's how you get these cool cameras that have facial recognition software built into them. Mm-hmm. Um, they can learn. They can extrapolate. We have the computer from Cornell that was able to extrapolate the basic laws of physics just by observing the movements of a pendulum. Mm-hmm. And it was able to do that in over a little over 24 hours, which uh, is pretty remarkable considering how long it took us to get there. But um, what what is this intelligence? Is, is that what we would define as intelligence, just the ability to solve problems? Um, I happen to like Marvin Minsky's definition of intelligence, um, which he compared to unexplored regions of Africa. Hmm. The more you learn about it, the less there is of it. So wow. in other words, we defined in, we, we define intelligence not by what it is, but by what it isn't. So as we find ways to allow computers to do things, we have philosophers jump up and say, well, that's not intelligence. Right. For example, right. a computer beating a human at chess. Right. Deep Blue. Deep Blue beats Gary Kasparov in 1997. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Kasparov was the the world champ chess champion at the time. And uh, he had met Deep Blue once before and and emerged victorious. Uh, he had, I think it was 96 when he played it the first time. He played the computer the second time in 97 and in a series of six games actually lost uh, eventually. Um, ultimately, Deep Blue came out the victor in that one. Well, you could argue, well, this is an example of artificial intelligence. Look, a, a machine has beaten a human at this this task. But uh, some people were jumping up and saying, oh, well, you know, playing chess, that's not really intelligence. That's just, you know, it's just this kind of task thing. So, well, if that's not intelligence, what is it? So what you're doing is you're, you're slowly removing aspects that were grouped kind of anom- in this weird, vague, anomalous form under the term intelligence – until intelligence is meaning fewer and fewer things. Mm-hmm. Until eventually the word itself may be meaningless as it, as far as it uh, applies to machines. Mm-hmm. So we've got, we've established that intelligence is hard to define. Right. Consciousness is hard to define. Yep. We still need to get to can machines uh, have these things, whatever they may be defined as, would a machine be able to possess this? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going to let you answer this one because I know, I know you're the expert and I, I hate to get in your way. <laughs> well, um, and I know you know all this stuff. Uh, er, uh. um, maybe no, uh, <laughs> here, here's the thing. It's without being able to define it in ourselves, it's really hard to say how would we imbue that into a machine? Yeah. Well, I mean, frankly, depending on your definitions, they've already achieved consciousness. Because, I mean, some people are, are a lot more maybe lenient. I don't know. I, I think I think some people may have very, very, very basic definitions of yeah. intelligence and consciousness. And to them, it means perhaps uh, uh, problem solving and perhaps some form of self-diagnostic. Mm-hmm. And if, mm-hmm. if that's all it takes for you to hit the definition of artificial intelligence and consciousness, sure, we have devices that can do that. Sure, yeah. We do not have a lot of devices that can do things like adapt to a new situation. Mm-hmm. They can, they can possibly, you know, 
and when I'm talking about a new situation, I'm talking about totally new. Not just like, okay, well, this, this robot can, um, identify obstacles in its path and chart an alternate pathway to get to its destination. Mm-hmm. There, we have robots that can do that. Um, I'm talking about putting it into a totally new situation. So you put this robot that normally can just find its way from one point to the next and give it some other sort of task that has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. You know, while the robot isn't programmed to deal with that situation, unless you have built in some sort of learning program where it can l- look at a totally new task, a totally new situation and adapt to it, I don't know that you could truly call it intelligent in the way that I think most people envision when they think of the science fiction version of an artificially intelligent robot or machine. Yes. So you can take your robot to the movies, but you can't put it in front of the concession counter and say, I'm sorry, we're out of diet, Dr. Pepper. What else would you like? And have it actually make an informed, conscious decision First on what all, its second choice would be? No machine in its right mind would ever ask for diet, Dr. Pepper in the first place. So your scenario is just laughable. Oh, but, okay. Um, no, well, no, you know, no, I'm trying I see, here. I see these these are difficult philosophical questions. Yes, they are. They, these are not, these are not, I mean, these aren't pat answers that we're trying to give either. Mm-hmm. These are, um, let's think about what, how would we even recognize if a machine had consciousness or intelligence? Yeah. See, it, it, it all goes, yeah. It's hard like, to define. But- right. I mean, like if you ask it a question and it responds, does that mean that it was intelligent or does that just mean it had an excellent database from which it could pull a response? Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, actually going back to, uh, Igor Alexander, who, uh, by the way, is the emeritus professor and senior investigator in neural systems at Imperial College in London. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got five axioms, uh, that help define, that he say, he says define consciousness. Um, and that is a sense of place, imagination, directed attention, planning and decision and emotion. And so basically you create a representation of a scenario in your head. You can think about it the way it was in the past. You can think about it in the way it will be in the future. And that is basically more or less in a nutshell in an oversimplified fashion done by me, your consciousness. And he said that basically a computer probably could be programmed to do that um, in some fashion, I just, the idea of actually accomplishing that is sort of, I don't know, beyond me, how you would actually accomplish that. Um, one person who is trying, however, um, is somebody he mentioned in his article, uh, uh, a scientist at the technical university of Denmark named Rodney Cotterell, who is looking at human and animal brains and the neurochemical interactions mm-hmm. that take place inside the brain. And he's trying to, when he identifies these reactions in the brain, he tries to replicate that on a computer to see if he can find out where consciousness is and make it happen on a, on a machine, which right. is kind of a weird, I mean, again, it's, that's sort of, that's so scientific that, you know. It's a monumental task. I yeah. mean, uh, we've got, for example, there's the, there's the Blue Brain Project, yes. which is in Europe. Now, the Blue Brain Project, their goal is not to create an artificially intelligent or conscious uh, entity. Right. That's not their goal. What their goal is, is to f- create a synthetic model of the human brain so that neuroscientists and neuro, neurologists can, d- can find new ways of treating the human brain for, uh, you know, various diseases or conditions, that kind of thing, without ever having to, you know, get into a human's brain. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is that you could simulate these things and then see how 
the brain might respond to specific kinds of treatment because, mm-hmm. again, you're using a, a simulation of the human brain. Some people um, – I, I read an article in the Daily Mail, which uh, our friends over the UK may be giggling right now. But in, <laughs> in the Daily Mail, uh, there was an article written where uh, the, the author seemed to take the leap of if you were to simulate a human brain with all the connections and, and – uh, uh, the, the abilities therein, would you then give birth to a, an artificially intelligent, artificially conscious entity? Uh, the, the scientists there say that's probably not gonna happen. It's just way too complicated. Um, they're just trying to create, uh, like I said, a simulation, not, not recreate the brain itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and they point out that the brain is incredibly complex. You're talking about trillions of, of, Neurons and to try and simulate that in a, in a meaningful way is, would require so much computing power that it's, it's really hard to even conceive of. I mean, yeah, we've got computers out there that are really powerful, but you'd have to design very specific software for those computers to run in order to even come close to simulating what goes on in the human brain. So, uh, now this, this doesn't mean that people haven't tried to create machines uh or or programs that mimic humans in some way uh i mean the whole concept of the turing test yes is mm-hmm. uh, the turing test is a test that uh that when you give it to a machine uh, when a, a machine passes the turing test when humans are not able to determine reliably whether it was a machine or a human taking the test Yes, uh, named for Alan Turing, right. the famous uh, British computer, computer scientist. Yes, so the idea here is that let's say that you have a series of questions that mm-hmm. uh, that you would pose a uh, an unknown respondent, mm-hmm. and then you get the response responses back. At the end of the test, you would be asked, all right, well, do you think that was a person or do you think that was a computer? And you would give your response. And if you were unable to determine that it was a computer uh, better than chance – and usually significantly better than chance, uh, then you could say that the computer passes the Turing test. Mm-hmm. However, this does not necessarily mean that the program or machine or whatever is actually intelligent. In fact, Turing himself said that that was not really a definition of intelligence. He said it's possible that a computer that uh, you might think of as intelligent mm-hmm. because it is capable of responding to new stimuli, that's capable of uh, of solving problems, an intelligent computer might fail the Turing test because it wasn't designed to give responses. Oh. So, mm-hmm. so you can have a, an intelligent computer that fails the Turing test, right? On the same, uh, by the same token, you could have a computer that passes the Turing test, but it does so because it has such a huge database from which it can draw responses that it seems like it's far too sophisticated for it to be a computer program, but it's still not being intelligent. Mm-hmm. And there's a, uh, an interesting problem that um, that a, a, another uh, uh, scientist suggested, um, Searle, I believe it was, who suggested the, the Chinese room problem. Have you heard of this? I believe so, but uh, refresh my memory. All right. So here's the Chinese room problem. This is this is comparing a human's experience with, let's say, a, um, a machine's experience okay. that could pass the Turing test. The problem is that uh, let's say um, let's say I'm transported to China. I'm put into a little room in China and there are uh, two slots in this room. Through one slot, I get a uh, a little card that has a Chinese figure drawn on it, mm-hmm. a alpha- uh, figure from the alphabet. A and, character. 
a character and I, I, um, look through a series of tables and I see that there is a particular response that I should, um, draw that based upon this figure that I've seen. So I draw, uh, the, the appropriate figure and then I slide it out of the, um, the other slot. Mm-hmm. Now, I've given the correct response, but I have no comprehension of what it is I have just done. Okay. All I know is I have one card and I've drawn a second card and I've given it back. That's the the uh the challenge of a machine passing the Turing test but still not being intelligent. Mm-hmm. The machine's responding the correct way but has no actual comprehension of what it's doing. Now, one um criticism you can have of this problem is that this is just taking into account one part of the machine. If you think of the data tables as part of the machine, if you think Uh of the slots as part of the machine, if you think of the whole system as part of the machine, then you could say, well, now it's a little fuzzy. Maybe the machine is intelligent. It's just that this one part of the machine, the machine that's doing this one section itself is not intelligent, but that you can't say the whole system is unintelligent. Hmm. That's the Chinese problem. Okay, then. And the logical response to the Chinese problem. What is called the logical response at any rate? Unfortunately, our consciousnesses don't always operate logically. <laughs> no. <laughs> always? Are you talking? <clears throat> Hardly ever. Now, um, I've got a, a interesting little conversation to, to read to you. Oh, okay. 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 This is a conversation between, um, uh, well, have you heard of Perry? Perry? P-A-R-R-Y. It's one of the mm. earliest uh, artificially intelligent programs designed. Um, so this is this was uh, one of those tests that was done where you you know you're familiar with the the various artificial intelligent uh, uh, programs where you type in a question and the the computer responds to you and then you type back like this, smarter child right this is like kinds of going back to the Turing test type stuff right well this Perry was. Uh, written by a Stanford University psychiatrist named Kenneth Colby. And it was a program designed to respond as if it were a, uh, a patient suffering paranoia. Wow. And the idea here was that under the parameters of a patient suffering from paranoia, it was actually fairly um, um, convincing. Now, granted, that's a narrow set of parameters. That's not mm-hmm. the whole human experience. We've right. talked about this once before, I think, in artificial intelligence. Yes, so here's here's an example. Uh, why are you in the hospital? I shouldn't be here. Who brought you here? The police. What trouble did you have with the police? Cops don't do their job. What do they do instead? Cops arrest the wrong people. They arrest the right ones sometimes. The law should get those Italian crooks. Are you Italian? My background is British, but I was born in this country. Do you know any Italian crooks? I tried to avoid the underworld. That was, you know. So it's really kind of gone off the rails there. Yeah, but still, you you would, if you were just looking at that as text, you know, you don't have any tone, you don't have any inflection or right, anything. Right, right. It reads like a paranoid patient. Mm-hmm, I mean, it mm-hmm. doesn't, it's not, it, it's close enough to what the questions are that you could conceivably think, all right, well, that, that could possibly be a, a person on the other end of this, not a computer program. Yes, clearly I'm not a, a psychologist, <clears throat> not even remotely, but, and I think though that when I was listening to you say that, I was feeding my own, I know this, you know, my own consciousness that that was a computer on the other end. Right. It began to seem very random to me. Yeah. But if I did not know, 
Yeah, if I had just, it was a computer, then I might. If I had perhaps presented yeah. you with a series of conversations, some of which were from real patients and some of which were from Perry, yes. you might have had more of a, a challenge there. So that was not very scientific on my part. Yeah, Sorry but no, that. I mean, I, I thought the same thing when I first read it. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. Let me put myself in the position of I don't know from yeah. whom this is coming. Well, that makes more sense. You still might think it's a little unusual. But then again, if it you believed that it was coming from a human being, you might think that there's something wrong. So for argument's sake, let's say okay. that somehow we have found a way to create what we would traditionally consider artificially intelligent, artificially conscious machine. Okay. What then? Oh, good. You gave me the easy question. Yeah. So let's say. Is that put we, us on the road to the singularity? Well, it could. Or it could put us on the road to. Uh, Morocco? Oh, wait, no, that's a movie. Terminator is what I was thinking. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, you create these artificially intelligent creatures that uh, can not, – not only are they self-aware, but mm-hmm. you know they, they can truly examine the position that they are in yeah. and, um, and their relationship to us and perhaps even decide, hey, you know what? Um, yeah, I can continue to create better versions of me mm-hmm. uh, at a much faster rate than evolution will allow <laughs> – humans to get to get better over millions of years. Yes. So uh, why don't I just wipe these guys out and uh, cuz I don't need them anymore. I got everything I need and um I'll do it myself. Uh I suppose if you had consciousness without emotion and you are logic based, it might seem logical to, you know, or make even, more room for your Or even clones. with emotion, just because you have emotion doesn't mean you necessarily have compassion toward humans. Good point. You could have compassion toward other robots. And think, well, why are we, even though, yes, we don't have the, the, the benefit of being organic, but why should we be forced into servitude? Mm-hmm. You know, what's, that's, of course, that would be the whole argument of AI, yes. the movie AI, um, where robots weren't necessarily, uh, uh, malevolent toward humans. They just, they, they had been used as tools. And once your tool has the ability to figure out how lousy life is, then you got a lot of questions to answer, you know, a lot of ethical problems. Um, and there are plenty of science fiction novels and movies and television shows oh, yes. that have explored this. Oh, yes. Uh, and again, it's another philosophical question. Now, granted, I think it's pretty much a moot point because I'm not sure that we're ever going to get there. For one thing, I don't know that we necessarily need anything that has that kind of artificial intelligence or conscience to it. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think people are investigating it more because they're curious than because there's an actual... Need. If nothing else, I think it it lets us examine ourselves more. Oh yes, but I would agree. when it comes to creating, you know, actually, let's say that somehow we had the technological breakthrough where we figured out we could do it if we wanted to. I don't know that we would want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, for one thing, uh, we're we're kind of assuming in in this case that the machine brain we create is at least on some level comparative to a human brain. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out human brains aren't hard to create. Just okay. takes two people. Well, true. We can make lots and lots of human brains. There's no shortage of them, as it turns out. Brains. Which is that's that's kind of why that's one of the arguments that you know even AI specialists will say that mm-hmm. like, well, there's no point in creating that. Why would we try and create an artificial human? We can create real humans. In fact, that's kind of a problem <laughs> in some places. We have way too many real humans. Why would we create fake ones? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good argument. You know, it makes more sense to create machines that are really, really good at doing specific tasks and 
not worry so much about creating a machine that is capable of doing any task. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't really make any sense. I mean, it's, we should build stuff that, that does certain things really well and not worry about trying to create a, a mechanical replacement for the human race. Yeah, we all know how that's going to end up. Yeah, see, that's why I vote against uh, robot rights. <laughs> I all do right. not give the right to vote to my toaster. Yes. Because it will probably vote for bagels, and I prefer toast. Okay. You say so. I do say so. Okay. So at any rate, I guess we can wrap up this conversation. It has been rather high level and uh, and and uh, a bit intellectual and – it kind gets of, pretty cerebral at times. It does. See literature and you have to around the talk about intelligence and consciousness. true. Now you're being literal. No, we didn't even get into the mind body problem, which that's another philosophical issue. Um, will we ever get there? I don't. I, I looking at what we're doing now, I'm not sure that we're going to get there within our lifetime. No, because yeah, it's just it. it's incredibly complex. Now, if you're Ray Kurzweil, you'll probably think that we're going to get there because we well, gonna live forever. Well, yeah, Kurzweil. Uh, he's uh, the guy who came up with the theory of the singularity. Mm-hmm. Um, he believes that we're going to create machines that can create better machines, which in turn can create even better machines. And the time between generations will get shorter and shorter until we're, we reach a point where we're just in a constant state of evolution. Mm-hmm. And then either humans become obsolete, they merge with this new form of technology, um, or they are, we're all freed up to, you know, swim in the pool and, and watch television and while the machines do everything we need them to do. I don't know that that's coming. I think that might be a little pie in the sky. We never know. We could end up in a ragtag fugitive fleet. Right. Searching for, oh we wait, could, we're already here. Never we mind. could end up in a, a large, uh, deep space mining vessel and then have wait. to go into, uh, to, uh, to, to, frozen carbonation for like a couple million years while the cat evolves over. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Vaguely. You've seen Red Dwarf? I'm familiar with the plot. Okay. I've seen a couple episodes. All right. Well, I guess that's a good enough reason for us to wrap this up then, isn't it? All right, then. Yeah, we're done. Um, Let's just move on to a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Chris, and Chris says, Hello, Chris and Jonathan. My name is Chris, and I have been an avid listener to your podcast since I discovered it last year. I had to take a break from listening to them as I went into the military. Anyway, after I got discharged and got back to work, I caught up on them. As I was listening to your podcast on augmented reality, my company got an order for parts for an augmented reality system for a car. I thought this was really cool, so I thought I would shoot you an email. Your number 463rd fan, Chris. Uh, P.S. I'm not sure if I like you guys or Josh and Chuck better. That's all right. Some days I don't know either. Um, <laughs> that's awesome, Chris. And, you know, GM just announced an augmented reality uh, windshield project. Yes, I did see that. Which is pretty darn nifty. Now, mm-hmm. we've seen some of this in the past already where we've seen some windshield uh, applications for things like night vision mm-hmm. and uh, rear view where yep. you, you have a little uh, uh, camera showing the rear view on the inside of your windshield so you can see what's behind you. Um like but, heads up displays and stuff like that. Yeah, there. this is, this is more of the same, like more heads yeah. up displays and where you can get real time information on the road as you're driving, like GPS stuff and things of that nature. Um, I'm really excited about this kind of stuff as long as they can present it in such a way that it does not become a distraction to the driver. And that's a big issue these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, anything that keeps, takes your eyes off the road 
is always going to be a bit of a, um, a risk more than a bit, depending on how fast you're going and where you are. Yes. But, um, I do think it's a pretty exciting, uh, application. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I'm still waiting for the, the sunglasses <laughs> that don't weigh like 30 pounds. Right. I, I should jump on that because you could theoretically build a pair now. It's just they wouldn't be very light. Thanks a lot, Chris. If any of you have any email you would like to send us, our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Go to howstuffworks.com to learn all about artificial intelligence, robots, computers, processors, things like that. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the How Stuff Works homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?